So I kind of prayed my idea right there. But what I want today is for us as followers of Jesus to be fueled by grace for the mission of God. You know, many times when we first start following Jesus, we might be ants, we might be ready to go. I have all the strength, I have all the energy, I have all the joy. I listen to my favorite worship songs. I'm ready to change the world for Jesus. But know what happens? It's a long road. You hit walls, people hurt you, hopes fail, things go crazy, the vision isn't what you thought it would be. So all of a sudden, the fuel tank starts running out. But today, the Apostle Paul says, it's by God's grace I am what I am, and by his grace that I work harder than anyone, basically, paraphrasing there. Do you work harder for the gospel than anything else in your life? When you wake up, is it the first thing you're thinking about before your feet hit the floor, that I've got to pull myself out for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people might be saved? Because we are the ones who are called to reach the world with the gospel. He's called us to specific works. Christ died so that we would do specific works, gather and unify for those works so people could be saved. It's not for anything material or vain or passing away. What we are working for is eternal things, things that won't rust, things that won't pass away, things that we can take with us, people who will be worshipers of God for all eternity. I want all of us to give our energy for that which will be fruitful for all eternity, not to live our life for vain things. Do you know it's easy to live your life for vain things? There's a lot of empty things calling for your energy, your time, your focus, and your hard work. Many people wake up every day and they'll die for a dollar bill. Can you imagine that? A green little piece of paper that you can burn up real easy with a nice little lighter. I'm going to bleed for that. I'm going to sweat for that. I'm going to give everything for that. I'll pull myself out for that. And then you realize at the end of your life, if you live your life for that, you say, man, that was all vanity. It meant nothing. But you know that's not our story. If we work hard, plowing the fields for the gospel of Jesus Christ, planting churches, making disciples, seeing souls saved, that work never passes away. Don't you want your work to live on? Don't want... What you give your energy for, you bleed for, you sweat for, to matter, not just for 70, 80, 90 years. That's the privilege we have when we're following Jesus to do that. Amen? And it's his grace that compels us to do it. Some of us are here, maybe say, I got the strong will. You maybe say, I got the strong will. I'm a hard worker. Or maybe you say, my intellect is unmatched. I'll give him that hard work. That ain't going to bring you to the end. Only God's grace will make you cross that finish line and bearing fruit. It's his grace that changes us, where we identify ourselves, I'm the worst of sinners, saved by the greatest of saviors, and that fuel every morning makes me get up, and worship God, and serve God with all my strength. Most of you know I'm an NBA fan, and so I watch NBA documentaries, I love basketball, I wish I loved sports like I love sports like I love basketball, because I want to enjoy sports all year round, and I only enjoy them like October through June. But everyone, anyone here, my NBA fans out there, Karan Butler, if you don't know about Karan Butler, he's not a superstar, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he was a solid 
basketball player. He was known for his hard work. A few years, he was elite defender. He'd give you 15 to 20, 14-year vet, two-time all-star. He was a successful, hard-working NBA player. But if you don't know his story, you don't understand what fueled him to change to be successful in his field. When he was 11 years old, he dealt cocaine for the first time. At 12 years old, he got his first criminal offense. At 15 years old, he, he was serving time in a ju juvenile detention center. But something happened in his life that absolutely changed him dramatically. Detectives, cops raided his house, and in the detached garage, they find, found 15.3 kilos of cocaine. Guess who was the only one home? Karan. Guess what that detective could have done, given him 10 to 15 years? That meant he would have been in his late 20s. That meant being a standout basketball player, enjoying life all those years, grown. That would have been all gone. But that detective decided to pardon him. He showed him grace, and he didn't charge him for that when he could have easily charged him and given him 10 to 15 years. That propelled, that was a changing transformational point for Karan Butler. After that, he started working at Burger King, the hardest worker. He started working on his game nonstop. He made the NBA. He became the dad he wanted and the family man he wanted to be and successful in all other areas of life. What changed him was grace. Someone gave him what he didn't deserve, and that was favor. He deserved punishment because that's one of the worst of crimes, dealing drugs so people get hooked and families are destroyed. That's a horrible crime. Those are horrible crimes. Those aren't light criminal acts. But he was pardoned by this cop. And to this day, they have a great relationship. And he says, I'm proud of you, Quran, because that grace was not in vain. That grace was not in vain. You took that grace and you worked harder and you bore fruit in your life. We all here pardoned, not of light sins, but of great sins. There are not light sinners here. There are great sinners, the worst of the worst. And we have been pardoned by a great God, and we have not got what we deserve. And that grace should impact us and make us the hardest workers for the gospel. Amen? So that's what I want us to hear today, to be fired up for this year, the hardest working year at Seven Mile Road and Restoration Road, we're plowing the fields, we're loving our enemies, we're praying for those who spitefully use us, we're preaching the gospel, and we're seeing people believe. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 11. Maybe it's up on those sweet TV screens. I don't know. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace, the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and they believed. This is a different way of identifying yourself, isn't it? Do you see a pattern in what Paul does, a man who's fueled by grace with great fruit? Many people would say, if I'm Paul, I'm showing up and I'm saying, yeah, it's Paul, the super apostle. You know me, just playing churches, traveling. I don't even marry nobody. I'm not disciplined. Just out here, just self-denying. Now Paul says, me? I'm unworthy of this. How dare only in an upside-down kingdom does a sinner like me get up to get up here and proclaim the goodness and the grace of God. I'm the least of the apostles. See, we rank him number one. He ranks himself last. This is the first step to being fueled by grace. Because if you start ranking yourself higher than you are, you're going to start working on your own self-works and start thinking you're something. And I'm telling you, speaking from my own experience, don't think you're something lest you fall. Paul says, I'm the last. You see those 12? I'm 12th, the most unworthy, the worst of sinners. This is a wonderful way to find your identity. I'm a great sinner saved by a great God. You don't got to hype that up. You don't have to hype that up. I'm a light sinner who leaned a little grace. I'm really good prayer, though. No, this dirt here. And the Holy One came and he's cleaning me out and he cleaned me out. Wonderful identity. Now I don't have to fight for my reputation. Now I don't have to prove myself to people. Now I don't have to please them because I realize that God sent his son so I could be eternally pleasing to him. That even though I'm the last, I have the privilege of serving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a different, different game. Paul realizes his past. And he names his greatest sin, if you would. He persecuted the church of God, meaning he persecuted Christ himself. That's what Jesus was telling him. The very church that God's son died to conceive, he was dragging those people who were following Jesus out of the hells, throwing them in jail. He thought he was fighting on behalf of God. He was fighting against God, the worst of sinners. He said, I persecuted God's church. It's amazing that now I'm even in the ranks of the godly. And I want to ask you today, Do you consider yourself, when you survey your life, do you rightly examine yourself and say, I'm a filthy, dirty sinner that Christ has saved? Because only when you identify yourself as the worst of sinners can you hold on in the grace of God. You've got to own your sin to own his grace. Do you guys hear that? There's a bunch of preachers in the pulpit telling us that we're just... Making mistakes out of the kindness and goodness of your heart. You're just so kind. You were making all those mistakes because you care so much about people. Right? You guys heard that one? There's a bunch of mistake makers out here. Just making errors out of the kindness of your heart. Like that mom who holds her son who's the serial killer and like he has a good heart. You don't understand. He's making sandwiches out of people. Right? We sinned of the sinfulness of our hearts. We 
sinned because our hearts brought us there. So the scriptures say, someone didn't make you do it. That's what they did in the garden, right? No, I sinned. It was her. It was him. It was the tree. It was the snake. No. Our greatest enemy is our hearts that lust after things and we're sinners saved by grace. It's a wonderful thing to recognize that because now I say God knew my sinful heart and that's what demanded payment on the cross by his son so that I could be reconciled to God. Amen? Own that first because you can't be fueled by God's grace if you just think you're making mistakes out of the goodness of your heart. You have to be convinced that your heart is going to lead you astray if the gospel is not always penetrating it, permeating it, marinating it, and changing it day by day. Because now I can own my sin, and I can own, my God, own God's grace, and I can be set on fire to work with everything I am now. I still remember the first time I drank coffee. You know where I'm. I was on the job site. I was apprentice. I didn't want to bring, drink coffee to... I was 19 and 20, I said, I don't need coffee, I got energy. I started getting real tired, get up at 5 in the morning carrying people's pipes around and wires and pulling. I said, give me a coffee. I put that coffee down real quick. My life changed forever. If you have coffee and grace, you can do anything. I was running around the job site. People were like, what's wrong with this kid? I had pipe, rigid pipe on my shoulder, I'm running around. I had in my system like I never had before. This caffeine, this coffee energized me that I became one of the hardest workers on that job site, at least for that day when I put coffee down the first time. That is the same with grace. You ever see someone get grace? You ever see someone who's so condemned just trying to do right all week and you look at them and they're like, I'm going to church again. I can do it. Then next week they're like, I can't do it. And they're getting saved every week. You can't live with that fuel, but then someone gets grace, and they start to get on their feet, and they start to be able to be themselves and love people and worship God, and they're not afraid to approach the throne of God, and they're not afraid to share the gospel and say, listen, I'm a great sinner. God saved me, because if you wait until you're perfect to share the gospel, you've already done all your evangelizing, right? But when you get grace, you say, listen, it's not about you being perfect, because Jesus was perfect. You're messed up. I'm messed up. Jesus knew that. He got pinned to a cross. He's going to give us the grace and empower us to even grow in holiness and righteousness and be sanctified, be on the mission of God and serve. Christ is for you. The gospel declares that. There's a different energy in that. In condemnation and self-righteousness, you're going to burn yourself out because you can't do it. Because you always, when you're honest with yourself, you come to grips with your heart and your mind and your thoughts and you realize they're dragging me other places. I God's grace to keep me on the path. I need his grace to get me out of bed. I need his grace for pray for that person I cannot stand. I need his grace not to compete with that church down the street. I need his grace not to be jealous and covet those things that other people have, whether it's in ministry or their home or their vacation or their marriage. I need his grace to empower me to do that because I can't do that on my own. See, Paul was a man of strong intellect. He had will. He had will. He called himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He had to give his resume one time just to put people in line. But at one point, at every point, 
something happened to him that changed him forever. He, des- he received grace. And Paul became a worker that really did work that mattered, that would not ever pass away. Now, Paul sounds like he's talking trash in this passage. Did you notice that? A little Bostonian trash talk. He says, I work harder than any of them. How would you feel if someone in the room, Cruz walked in the center and said, see these people? Harder working than all of them. That pompous, brother. Paul was just stating the truth. He said, and you've got to know the group he's talking about. He's not talking about the person who takes no responsibility in the church. He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about the people who are penning scripture, the holy scripture. He said, you know this crew I just talked about, these 12? He said, I work harder than all the elite. That's how hard I work. And why does he work that hard? Because of God's grace within him. Because Paul understood that he was given the greatest job in the world. He got to live his life for the glory of God and the salvation of many. It's a privilege to be part of the local church. Do you guys know that? We're not doing God a favor by being part of his local church. He's called us into that which matters most. And he's empowered us by grace that the words we can speak, that we can actually be part of someone's salvation experience, that we can give the effective calling, even though it's the work of the Holy Spirit, that I can say this one God who loves you, who died for you, who knows you're a sinner, and died for you because he knew that you couldn't live perfectly to make atonement for your sins. And all you must do is repent and believe. What a job, whether you're a pastor or you're at the table in Starbucks or Dunkey D's. You get to utter those words that a heart would grab onto through the power of the Holy Spirit and come alive to eternal life and be pardoned of this sin? Paul understood that he had the best job every day. When someone has a job they love, they bounce out of bed, right? When they hate it, it's just like they put up Monday memes. Here we go. Where'd the weekend go? It's Monday morning. But when you love your job, you're just ready to go. Everyone, your wife's like, why are you up making coffee? You know my hours. You know my job description. We have the best job descriptions in the world. We get to live a life for the advancement of the gospel by the grace of God. really want your life, if we really want our lives to matter, Paul had the secret. He made that which was of most importance, of first importance, and that was the center of his ministry, and what was that? That Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. The center of his life was the gospel, living for that, reflecting that, proclaiming that. That of which is of first importance is the gospel. When I was a younger man, I was saving up for my first truck. I worked so hard as an apprentice, I'm saving up my money, I want to save $1,000. Every day, as you know, I had to drink coffee, I'm getting up at five, working six days a week, and finally I have $1,000. Everyone says, go to New Hampshire, there's cheaper cars. I said, let's do it. I go up to New Hampshire, I see this beautiful Chevrolet, small blue pickups, I have a thing for small pickups. And I said, oh, man, I like that one. Then I got the snaky car salesman. Are there any honest car salesmen out there? We need to pray that God saves car salesmen. This dude comes up. He's a snake boy. And I can see it right away. I'm saying there's only snakes around me. What do I do? 
tells me this is a nice car. This is good investment. All you need, I can't remember exactly. It was either a transmission or a clutch. And he said, if you change the clutch or the transmission, whatever it was, this car's going to drive you into eternity. I said, okay, this is awesome. I'm so excited. So I forget if we towed the car home, but there was someone in my church. He was good with mechanical stuff. He said, I'm going to give my whole day. We'll fix that thing up. It's a lot of work. You buy the parts, I'll do it. We spent all day in this garage. I'm passing him tools. He's under the truck. Hard work. We put a whole new transmission, a whole new clutch. I can't remember exactly. We finally finished this the work. We drive to the gas station. I'm amped up. I can't wait this beauty down the street. I'm filling it up, smiling, looking at him. You see what we did, Doug? I see gasoline pouring out underneath the truck. I said, there's people in paradise. I look underneath. The gas tank was rotted halfway up to the top. So it hadn't been filled up to the level where you would know it. He probably knew that snake. So he hadn't filled it up to the level where it would pour out. It was just below so it would stay in the gas tank. That truck at the dump. All the work that we did Everything we did, all the wrenches I in vain. It was a waste. It was a waste of my time, my money, my hard work. What Paul is urging us right now, he makes a statement. He said, God's grace to me was not in vain. The things I did mattered. They're not getting thrown in the dump. They're not getting towed away. You're not going to put all this work in and it's not going to matter. You're going to live for eternal things. If you preach the gospel of grace by which people are saved, your life will be fruitful for all eternity. Now, there's temptations. There's other ways to preach the gospel that may make it seem like you have fruit, right? They're tempting. We want to be fueled by grace in wrong ways. So we want to be fueled by grace for certain things, and we want to preach the gospel, make it more appetizing to fleshly desires. For instance, let me give you two examples. These are ways not to preach the gospel or live the gospel, because if you do, you will be doing it in vain. The first one, if you preach the gospel as a license to sin, you will not bear fruit in your life. You will not bear fruit personally in sanctification, and you will not bear fruit, we will not bear fruit in our local churches. If the gospel of grace fuels me to feel like I can sin free without consequence, I do not understand how grace should be fueling me. So if I shut that door and I'm going into a room to commit sexual immorality, but I say it's all grace, I'm not understanding the fuel that grace is supposed to provide. If I'm doing my taxes and I'm not honest on them for gain, and I say to myself it's all grace, that's not the fuel that grace is supposed to provide. If I'm in that argument with my wife or my husband and it's kind of settled down and I say no one more round, it's all grace. That's not the grace. That's not the fuel grace is supposed to provide. Christ did not die to enable us to sin freely. He died to empower us so when we fall, we could get back up with no condemnation. There's a different heart behind that. 
How dare preachers and pastors and people sell a gospel where we can sin freely? Even the Apostle Paul said himself, I'm not preaching grace to you, so you go out and sin freely. If you're hearing grace like that, you're not getting the gospel. Your life will be in vain if you push that gospel. The second one is self-righteous. The pharisaical approach. I'm that good person, right? I'm the one that has it together. You see my 401k, the way I save what I put away, how I manage my home. I just need a little grace. Just throw that in there. I'll go to church on Sundays because it helps my resume. What do you do? I bring the kids to worship God every week. I just need a little grace. I'm one of those light sinners that Christ could have got one lash for, not have to be pinned to the cross for. It's those who think they're the cleanest that may be the dirtiest. That's not a gospel. Christ didn't die so some good people could proclaim their self-righteousness. That's what the Pharisees did, and they're the ones who promoted this murder. Amen? We do not say grace, I need a little grace, or some grace, so I sound in my theological conversations like I understand grace, but I'm not really applying it to my life. Grace is not be- meant to be applied as a license for sin or to be applied to our self-righteousness so we look better in front of people. Grace is meant to bring us to our knees before the cross so we identify ourselves as the worst of sinners and Jesus the greatest of God and we're fueled every day to push that gospel, amen? That's what grace does. It's a different thing. There's no boasting in it. If we want boasting in our gospel, we're not preaching the gospel. If we want boasting in the gospel, we're not living the gospel. There's no boasting in it. And when you take all the boasting and all the works out of it and all the license to sin, then you get the stuff that really bears fruit in people's life. What was the fruit that Paul insinuates to in this text? What was he working for? He said, I poured myself out basically, I worked harder than anyone, I preached the gospel, and what happened? And so you believed. That's the fruit. Do you understand how miraculous it is that someone believes that Christ died for their sins? It's absolutely miraculous that anyone believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so miraculous that the Holy Spirit has It's foolishness to anyone else that doesn't have the Holy Spirit residing in them. It's an absolute miracle. And Paul understood that. He said, looking around, look at this right here. 99.9 of us or 98.5 of us, hopefully after this message, 99.9 of us, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? It's a miracle, every one of you. And someone poured out their lives and hard work to give the effective calling and disciple you and love you so you would walk with Jesus. What greater gift is that than that? What could you pull your life out that matters more than that? You don't want to leave anything. You want to give it all. Because when you pass away, don't leave anything on the table. I remember watching this logger, man. The dude looked beat up. He was on one of those show, shows that cutting trees and drinking gasoline. And this dude had like one tooth. He had scars everywhere. He was missing fingers. And he said this, he said, listen, we're all going to die. He said, I want to slide into home plate head first. <laughs> he said, I'm leaving nothing. I'm giving everything to this log, and I'm leaving the best in the game. Those are the kind of metaphors Paul used as the hard worker for the gospel. He said, I pour myself out. Let me ask you, serving Jesus, you feel like you're pouring yourself out? He said, I fight the good fight. 
You haven't followed Jesus till you feel like you've got to throw some spiritual left hooks. He said, I've ran that race. Anyone been running lately? It burns the chest. He uses all stuff that's strenuous with hard work. I'm giving everything I have for this work that people might believe. And that's my prayer, road family. That this year, every one of us, not just the pastors, not just the deacons, every one of us would pour ourselves out, ourselves out, that people might believe. That we see more baptisms than we've ever seen. That we see true fruit, true, true fruit. That people see the gospel and see that they're horrible sinners, but God is the perfect Savior. And all of a sudden, they're reconciled with God, and they're living. We are living. They are living. The family of God is living for what really, really matters. So those who are weary, allow grace to fuel you for the fight. To those who are lazy, answer the call. Live your life for what matters. Let our proclamation by the grace of God be that we worked harder in 2017-18 than we've ever worked in our life for the glory of God and for the salvation of many. Let's pray.